Thank you, God, for the privilege one more time this side of eternity to stand in this sacred place and preach the things that are contained in this book. Your word tells us, God, that we are fed inwardly from the things that are in this book. Every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. This book is called Your Word. I ask you to help us today, O Lord, with open hearts and minds to evaluate ourselves in light of what this Scripture has to say to us today. May we truly leave here today, O God, challenged and changed by the Word of God. Thank you for the potential of this moment that we can never be the same after this moment. Make it to be so in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Beautiful scripture. I told you Ephesians 2, Romans 8, Romans 4, Colossians 1. Great script chapters that are favorites of mine. This is one that contains many of the scriptures that you quote often. I would advise you to read the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read from 31 through 34 of Matthew chapter 6. Read it with me if you will. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all of these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In a literary work by Charles Dickens, you probably studied in school, A Tale of Two Cities, he said, these are the best of times and these are the worst of times. In many respects, we're living in a paradox we're living in a, a place we are juxtaposed against a backdrop of uh, worry and fear. And to us, every day is to be a day of hope and faith and joy unspeakable and full of glory. How do you have that kind of mindset in a culture where everything is bleak and all news is negative and the future is undetermined? Well, that's right opposite to what we are and what we believe because our future is determined. We're going to live for the Lord Jesus every day of our lives until a day he has appointed. And that's our future. That's what I'm working for. In fact, when Paul said, I press toward the mark and the high calling of the Lord Jesus, uh, I always thought that was some standard of excellence in ministry. But uh, further evaluation of etymologically studying that. What does etymology mean? It, etymology is a study of words. So we, if we etymologically examine this, it says to us this, upward means high, mark means date, calling means invitation. So it should be translated, Brother Randy, as I press toward the date when I will receive an invitation to come upward. In other words, he said, I'm looking forward to rapture day. I'm looking forward to a time when all, everything's going to be changed forever. And God has appointed a day. 
So for a Christian, our outlook is not bleak and despondent and desperate. Our outlook is positive because we know in whom we have believed. And we are persuaded that he is able to keep that which we commit to him uh, against that day. There's an axiom that says, you're never too old to learn. To learn. Well, that's, that's true. And the Bible tells us that it's a foolish person that hates instruction, but it's a wise person that is eager to embrace wisdom and enhance his quality of life. And here is one lesson that you're never too old to learn. Psalm 90 and 12. I want them to put it on the screen. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So teach us to number our days so that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now what that means is this. Teach us to appreciate every day because there are so few of them. Somebody say amen. So few of them, and teach us to number our days, and teach us to spend our days wisely and appreciate every day. Amen. You know, that's why the Bible says that we should evaluate the blessings of God daily. I tell a lot of people who are challenged with things that have been predicted for their future, I tell them, let's just take one day at a time. Let's just live one day at a time. Let's just take one step of this journey at a time. Tomorrow we'll take another step. And the Bible said sufficient for this day is the grace to take care of the trouble of this day. Tomorrow I'll take another step and there will be grace on that day to take care of the trouble in that day. Amen. Are you getting what I'm saying? In other words, for Christians, every step is a step of trust and it's a step of faith in God. We realize how few our days are and help us, God, to spend them as we should. Well, there's one thing about life is once you spend a day, you can't redo it. I heard a sermon years ago, I think Floyd Carey preached it, about there are no reruns in the game of life. There's, wouldn't it be great if we could just push the back button and back it up wouldn't it be good if we were equipped with that? Wouldn't it be good for every bad choice, bad decision that we've made, we could just hit the back button and back it up and adjust our thinking and not make that bad choice and not make that bad decision? Wouldn't it be great if we had that potential? Boy, I wish we could. I can think of a number of things that I would do differently if I had it to go over again. Every one of us can. Wouldn't it be good? But we don't have that. In fact, the Bible says we are as water that is spilt upon the ground that cannot be gathered up again. We're as a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanishes away. We're as a flower that cometh forth in its season and wilts and dies. In fact, the Bible said we must needs die and are as water which is spilt upon the ground. In other words, we can't do it again. We can't live it again. We can't correct the mistakes that we made. We can't take back the injurious things that we said. We can't redo. We can't rehash. We've got to live with our life as it is as we have lived it. But thanks be to God that if we confess our wrongdoings, those things can be corrected 
with God. Those things can be wiped out. In fact, the Bible said he would throw them behind his back. And he said he would remember them no more. So it's a wonderful thing. Forgiveness is a great thing. Justification is a great thing. It means that we can take care of our mistakes and we can take care of our wrongdoings. But God wants us not only to have faith to believe that he forgives and he changes and he transforms, but he also touches us in the areas of our, our character. So whether you're young or old, six or 60, healthy or wealthy or puny and poor, your greatest possession that you have is the gift of life that God gives. Is it possible then that the rest of my life could be the best of my life? Is it possible that there can be a transformation that would change my life for the better? Is it possible that I can make a commitment today in this place that would change my life and that the rest of my life would be the best of my life? I really believe it can. I really believe it can. Well, where would you go to find such counsel and advice on how to change your life so that the best of it is the rest of it? How do I get there? Do I study Confucius? Do I uh, go back and try to read Socrates and Dante and all the philosophers, uh, all of those theorists and the realists, the idealists. Where, where would I go to find that? I would say go to the Word of God. I would go to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 because Jesus tells you what to do if you want to make the rest of your life the best of your life. He says it like this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Boy, that's good advice right there. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all of these other things that you think decorate your life with happiness and satisfaction will be added to you once you get your priorities straight. Once you get your first things first there. Isn't it something that Jesus gives those four words of advice if accepted it can transform your life. Beginning today, right now, once and for all, make a conscientious commitment to put first things first. And I trust that before you leave here today, you'll have an attitude of prioritizing God's kingdom and that the result will be he'll direct your path in all of your ways. How many is all of your ways? Does that mean total? Does that mean complete? Does that mean everything? And all your roles, all of your titles, all of your positions, all of your exercise, does that mean everything in all of your ways? Acknowledge him. Acknowledge him as a father. And say, I can be a better father if I acknowledge God. Acknowledge him as a husband, a wife. I can be a better wife if I acknowledge God. And not only will I be better and best, he says, and the Lord will direct your path. In all your ways acknowledge, and then he will light the pathway and show you which direction to go. I absolutely believe that. Number one, I'm going to go through four of these and I'll be through. I promise you're being sweet, so I'll try to be short. Number one, you've got to establish what is a priority in your life. You've got to set the priorities. 
He said, set your affections on things that are above. Lay up in store. It's in the same time. Lay up in store for yourselves treasures where rust doesn't come and disease and uh, moths don't come and eat up. And he said, lay up in store for yourself treasures in heaven. What did Jesus say to the rich young ruler? He said, go and sell what thou hast and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Now, Jesus did not intend to make the rich young ruler a pauper. He didn't mean to bankrupt him. What Jesus was actually saying was, your God is your possessions. And you cannot be born again, and you cannot have everlasting life until you change the God that's sitting on your throne. And if the throne is occupied by possessions or earthly desires or worldly things, if that is ruling and reigning in your heart and your whole priority is to acquire and get and own and be, then you're forever going to be frustrated with this thing called faith. Because if we're going to seek the kingdom of God We've got to realize that you first got to seek the king. God said, in that day you seek me, you'll find me. In that day that you make the decision that I am more important than anything else, and you let me be first, then God says, that's the day you'll find me. That's the day you seek me with your whole heart. The day that you seek me with all your mind and your strength. The day that you commit everything and prioritize that the number one thing in your life is to please him who has called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, the number one enemy against making the rest the best is ourselves. I used to hear folks say, many years ago, if you'll just get out of the way and let God. As a young person, I really struggled with that. I was in a camp meeting one night when a state youth director in Ohio, Brother Hughes, one of the greatest preachers ever, was preaching that night. And I had an afterglow service, had Phil Driscoll there, the woman with the trumpet, you know, I'm sure Doc knows Phil Driscoll. Y'all probably don't know Phil Driscoll. Uh, if you ever saw him, you'd probably remember him. He wears a lot of sequins and long hair. Yeah, you would know him. He was going to do a concert for me at 10 o'clock that night. And Brother Hughes was preaching. And I'd sold 3,500 tickets to that concert. And the building seated 3,500, which means that uh, we were supposed to start that after the service, after Brother Hughes got through. Well, Brother Hughes got to looking up in the uh, atrium and looking up in the balcony where people started coming in, everywhere. He thought they were coming to hear him preach. So the longer they kept coming in, the more eloquent he waxed. And he finally had, had the whole house filled, praise God. And Brother the Preacher was really on him. He finally got through preaching and gave the altar call, and uh, Phil walked around to me, Lisa, and he said, Jerry, he said, I've got to set up. I've got to get the stage set here. We've got to put, put our stuff up. I said, well, go ahead, but be very, very quiet, be very reverent about it. 
And they were setting up the stage, you know, with the lights and the, all that pyroglyphics and all that kind of stuff that he used to do at his concert. Brother Hugh saw all that going around. He walked over to me and he put those hands on my shoulders like he used to do when he wanted to really get my attention. And he said, Jerry, if you'll just get out of the way, God is trying to do something here. I said, Brother Hughes, God is perfectly free to do anything he wants to do. I would never stand in the way of God. He, he can do anything he wants to do. Wow. Sometimes you just need to get out of the way and let God be God. Let God do things in your life. Your first response when you hear bad news, you should go to your knees because that's a priority. I ask people sometimes when they bring me a problem, have you prayed about it yet? Well, no. And I said, well, evidently that's not a priority. The first thing a priority is when you need help, call on God. Get in the presence of God. I absolutely believe that those four words, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seeking the kingdom of God is the most important, it's the most critical thing that you do. You've got to get your priorities in order. Your life will not be in order if you don't prioritize. You pray about what your number one priority ought to be. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to discuss it. You don't have to look for it. You don't have to just do it. Just make God, his house, his word, his spirit, his presence, his blood, make those priorities. In other words, make them mean more to you than anything else. Make them mean more to you. The word Exiteo is a Greek word which means actively pursue or earnestly go after or desire. It means continuously. It's in present tense. That means every day we should be doing that. Psalms 27 and 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord. In other words, I prioritize this. One thing that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Deuteronomy 4, 29. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart, with all thy soul. Another critical priority is that if you're going to have a kingdom, you've got to have a relationship with the king. What kind of relationship have you got with the king of this kingdom that we're in? Esther had a relationship with the king, didn't she? The king loved her, and she found favor in the eyes of the king, and God used her to save his people from Haman and his uh, atrocities. Who was it? Was it Nehemiah that was cupbearer to the king and was in such a good relationship with him that the king said, something's troubling you. What is it? He said, the walls at Jerusalem are torn down. The gates are burned. The brethren are under great reproach. And the king gave him letters to the foresters in Lebanon to get, take the cedars and rebuild the house of God. We read about people that have, have served the king. Joseph served the king, interpreted a dream for him, and warned him about a famine that was coming. And the Bible tells us that God favored Joseph and elevated him to be a ruler in that uh, kingdom of uh, Egypt in the empire. So your relationship with the king determines how effective that you're going to be. We should know that the Christian life is more than just accepting Jesus. That's the starting place. But James tells us that faith without works is dead. There's a discipleship that has to be lived. 
There's a relationship with God that has to be pursued. I mean, it's not just walk up here and get saved and just return to your old way of living. He expects you to have discipline in your life and discipleship in your life. It's not enough just to seek the Lord. He wants to be your first intention. He wants first place on your list. Our initial thought must be his blessing on our lives. We must seek the king. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. First things first means putting worship and service to God first. Our God, the king, is pleased when we seek him by doing those things that please him. I'm hurrying, I promise. There are three words. Circle them. In verse 30, he says, O ye of little faith. Verse 32 says, Father. Verse 33, those words says, first. Faith, Father, first. Faith, Father, first. Jesus does not just want a place in your life. Jesus does not even want prominence in your life. Jesus wants preeminence in your life. What does that mean? That means that he's number one. That means he's number one. The Lord Jesus Christ is not interested in being first runner-up in your beauty contest. He's not interested in being vice president in your corporation. He's not interested in being second in command in your army. He wants to be the king on the throne of your heart and not a co-partner in a duplex. He doesn't want to sit in the back seat. He doesn't want to be just a, a casual observance. How are we going to seek the king? How do we do that? Number one, first of all, you're seeking the glory of the king. Every part and parcel of your life, every minute, every moment of your time, every ounce and pound of your strength, every muscle and fiber of your body ought to be given to the glory of God. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 10 and 31. You've heard it many times. You can quote it. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Secondly, you're seeking for the guidance of the king. A loyal subject always wants to be where he's supposed to be, do what he's supposed to be doing, and he does that because he wants the king to approve and be pleased with his life. Every morning of your life, you ought to begin by asking the Lord Jesus what Paul asked on the road to Damascus. Lord, what do you want me to do? How long has it been since you asked the Lord that question? God, what do you want me to do? Third thing of seeking him, it means to seek the governance the things that God has put in your life to give your life structure, the things that God has put in your life, church, pastor, uh, fellow laborers together with God, opportunities to worship, uh, opportunities to serve God. Those are things God puts there. But he said, don't just seek for the Lord and his righteousness, or, or rather the Lord and his kingdom. Also seek for his righteousness. And that means personal purity. Righteousness means right standing, right standing. Faith is always seen by its fruit. Character is always seen by its conduct. In other words, don't tell me, show me. Proverbs 20 and 12 tells us the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. Devotion is always seen by discipleship. As we seek the kingdom of God, people ought to be able to see the kingdom of God in us. There was a German philosopher, come on Connor, there was a German philosopher. His name was Nitschke. He was the philosophical founder of the Nazi movement in German. He was the first man in history to come to the conclusion that God is dead. 
That's where the God is dead theory began. He came to that conclusion, how? By looking at Christians. One, two, testing, one, two. He came to that conclusion that God is dead by looking at Christians. He made this statement. You know what he said about us? He said, if you want me to believe in your Redeemer, you are going to have to look a little bit more redeemed. What does that mean? That means we're wearing a label, but we may not have the contents on the inside. That means we've got a name. That means we've got an identity, but we don't possess the possession. It means that we don't have whatever it is that we need to make us seekers after God. You've got to desire His will. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. You've got to derive it. We're to seek His righteousness. God is not interested in your righteousness because all of your righteousness is as filthy rags. All of my righteousness are futile attempts to impress God. Philippians 3 and 9, Paul said that I may be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. We must also depict it. We ought to live like kingdom subjects. We ought to talk the language of the kingdom. We ought to live out the language of the kingdom. And then there's a promised prosperity. He said, if you do these things, if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all of these things that the Gentiles worry about, all the things that the Gentiles are worried about will be added to you. You won't have to worry about your finances. You won't have to worry about what am I going to wear. You won't have to worry about what am I going to eat. Because those are the things that the Gentiles really struggle with and they really work on those things and they worry about it. But God says if you put Him first, then all of these other things will be added to you. I'll have mine own way, Lord. I'll have mine own way. I am the potter. You are the clay. I'll mold you and make you after my will. While you are waiting, yielded and still. Debbie, there, there you go. Yeah. That's wrong. You sung that song wrong. No, I sung that song the way a lot of people serve God in the kingdom. I'll dictate to God what I want. I'll dictate to God where I go. I'll dictate to God what I do. I'll dictate to God what I say. And if he says I don't like that, I say, well, just forgive me then. I want to tell you something. Discipleship is different from that. I read about a missionary who was getting ready to embark and go away to a foreign country. He was about to get on the ship, going up the gangway. And a friend of his who was a very wealthy person 
came to him and slipped an envelope in his hand. The friend said, you take this envelope, and if at any time while you're overseas, you come to a place where you've exhausted every other possibility, and you don't know where else to turn, and you have a need that you cannot meet anywhere, any way, then you can open the envelope. Well, the missionary took the envelope and thanked him, put it in his pocket, went up the gangplank, and stayed on the mission field for over two decades working as a missionary in a third world country. At the end of those years of service, he came back home, and he walked down that same gangplank, and he met that same wealthy friend, and he said, I want to give this envelope back to you. It's still sealed. It's still unopened. And he said, why? Did, did you not ever get to a place that you didn't know what to do? Did you ever get to a place where you didn't know where to turn? Did you ever get to a place that you were depleted of all resources? And the missionary said this, never did I come to a place where I did not know where to turn or what to do. Praise God for a Christian. You'll never come to a place that you don't know what to do and you don't know where to turn. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you'll trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. And that's the message you need to leave here with today. Seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, and then all of these other things, food, raiment, shelter, finances, they'll be added to you. What a great formula. Stand with me, please. Shortest Pentecostal service I've ever been to. I just want to tell you that Jesus is right for whatever's wrong. And a world that is in crisis needs a church that's in revival. Wouldn't it be something if we believed so much in the message we preach about an atonement that all sin can be forgiven because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ and that if we come to him in faith believing and if we ask him you being earthly if your son asks of you a, a stone would you give him a scorpion no Jesus made that observation whatsoever things you ask in faith, believing, he'll give it to you. If we could be known as a place that did not just test for virus, but prayed a prayer of healing, would it be something if word got around, 390 people were tested, 
So many were positive. And they have been healed because when the church got through testing, they prayed for them. I just wonder if drive-through prayer could line them up all the way to the red light, back up the mountain, and the line of cars was so long. And you go over and you say, hey, what are y'all in line for? What are you waiting on? We've heard that people come through here that have the virus, and they pray for them, and they get healed. I've heard that there are people here that will pray for you if you're sick and that God heals. What if that word got out? I said, I wonder if that word got out. Wonder what it would be this morning if people came in and said, I know you can't touch me, and I know you can't put your hand on me, but would you just pray a prayer? Because I believe what you preach. I believe what you preach. Would it be something if the church was the church and if the Holy Ghost was the Holy Ghost? Would it be something if the power of God could be the power of God? Would it be something if advertising got out around all over this place? If you need healing, he's a prison-breaking Savior. If you got chains... He's a chain breaker. If you need healing, he's a healing Savior. Whatever you need, would it be something if the pre preaching could back up, if the message could be backed up by testimonies? Would it be something if Facebook would be inundated with people? Hey, I was at church this morning and a prayer was offered for COVID-19, and I believe my symptoms are gone. I'm going to get checked because I believe God touched me. Wouldn't it be something? Wouldn't it be something? Well, I want to tell you that's the way it was in the early days of Pentecost. They came to see, but they remained to seek. They came out of curiosity, but they stayed under a spell of conversion. You see, there's, there's an attractive magnet. It's called Holy Spirit. Holy Ghost anointing. And that anointing can make things so different for people that when people are in crisis and when people are desperate and despondent, they will call upon a church to pray that knows how to pray fervent prayers that get results. I called to check on a pastor who's in the hospital in Tipton, Georgia with COVID-19, Charles Blair. His wife is back there in intensive care. She's on a ventilator, got pneumonia. The doctor came in and told him yesterday, said, I don't think she's going to make it. And Charles Blair said, Jerry, I need somebody that can pray a prayer. I need somebody that can get a hold of God. I pulled that truck over to the side of the road and I started praying like the house was on fire. What do you mean, Pastor? I, 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 when I pray fervent prayers, I get loud and I get rowdy. Oh, God! Power!
God, Holy Ghost of God, anointing of God. Charles Blair needs your touch. Joanne Blair needs your touch, God. Stretch down your mighty hand. Let the power of God touch. Hallelujah. Used to be before we got air conditioning, Susan, that you could tell when you went by a Pentecostal church. They were loud. They had the windows up. And all over the community, people would sit on their front porch and listen to the Pentecostal church down the road because they didn't need any amplifiers. They were loud enough. Debbie will tell you one night at, well, many nights at Vaughn Road, we had an obnoxious neighbor. She'd call the law on us every Sunday night. We'd get so loud praising and worshiping God having camp meeting services at Vaughn Road. One night, one of my members, I saw him in the back, he was a policeman, and he come in, he stood back there at the back wall, his name was Tom, and uh, I was doing the altar, I was praying for people in the altar, I walked back there, and I said, Tom, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be in a squad car running around. He said, ah, somebody called and said y'all were disturbing the peace over here. I said, well, I'm glad they sent you. One of my members because if they'd sent another patrolman out there, I might not have fared so well. I want to be known as a preacher that preaches intently and fervently that depends upon the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I want to be known for that. I told Debbie, I said, just put it on my epitaph. Gene Rice preaches about epitaphs. You've heard it a hundred times, haven't you? Yeah. I told her, I said, you put this one on mine. Here lies a Pentecostal preacher. Well, that's awful simple. Yes, sir, that's all I need said. Here lies a Pentecostal preacher. One of my friends, I'll let you go after this. One of my friends was preaching just the other Sunday in Tennessee stepped down off the rostrum and collapsed in the altar and went to be with Jesus. When they called me and told me about it, I said, what a way to go. What a way to go. Lord, grant that to me, please. Please grant that to me. Praise God. One of my preacher friends, I told you I'd let you go. One of my preacher friends come and they just sung a song, What a Beautiful Day for the Lord to Come Again. And he walked up to that podium and he said, What a beautiful day for the Lord to come again. He just collapsed and went to be with Jesus. What a way to go. What a way to go. Praise God. I want to be found in Him. I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection. I want to know Him in that no other entity can quell or disperse any of the grace and the glory of God in my life. I don't want anything, a disease, a pandemic, a falling economy, tension. I don't want any of that to obscure the brightness of the glory of God in my life through Jesus. That's number one. That's number one. I said that's number one. And if you'll make that number one in your life, you, the rest of your life will be the best of your life. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be in your house today. Thank you for the glory of the Lord. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the anointing. Thank you for your word.
Now I ask you, oh God, to help every one of us to determine that the rest of my life is going to be the best of my life because I'm going to seek and prioritize the Lord Jesus and God and his kingdom. That's going to be number one for me. Dismiss us now from this place, but not your sight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.